Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the 4Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek. And in this special PGA Championship preview edition, I am joined by my good friend and colleague. Don't tell him it's my friend, I suppose. I can only just suck up to the guy. Steve DeMeglio, senior writer with GolfWeek, GolfWeek.com, as well as USA Today Sports. And in the podcast we're about to hear, he and I go pretty deep on all things related to the ocean course at Kiowa. Pete Dye's devilish design. I, I have played this golf course. It is every bit as hard as there is out there think um whatever the most difficult golf course you can think of add sand dunes wind and hard fast greens to that golf course add pga championship major championship pressure to that golf course it's it has the potential to be really difficult now steve and i talk a lot about the ocean course we talk a lot also about colin morikawa steve's got a great feature on golfweek.com right now that you should definitely check out about colin morikawa he talked to colin he talked to his coaches and caddies his whole inner circle. It's really, really interesting stuff, and we go into depth about that. We also talk about just about all the other big storylines that are going to be happening this week during the PGA Championship. The fact that Max Homa has Jim Bones Mackay on his bag. We talk about Rory McIlroy returning to Kiowa, the site of his eight-shot win back in 2012. Brooks Kepka's knee, Jordan Spieth's magical putter, and a whole lot more. So sit back, relax, and let's do it. Now I'd like to welcome once again back to the Four Press Podcast, Steve Demeglio. Steve is a senior writer with Golf Week, GolfWeek.com, as well as USA Today. Steve, how you doing, pal? I'm doing okay. Just count down the days till we get to Kiowa Island. Gets, let's do it. Kiowa Island, South Carolina, home of the 2021 PGA Championship. Are you still getting used to, or does it feel like it's about PGA time? I've still got a little bit in the back of my mind, just schedule-wise, that the PGA is the end of summer. The whole glorious last shot thing, it's August. Are you getting used to the fact that this tournament is now after Masters before U.S. Open? I'm I'm not, no, because, uh, um, you know, I, I had forgotten that Rory, when he won in 2012, Rory McIlroy, when he won by eight shots in 2012, that was in August. Yeah. You know, so now we're here in May. Uh, the temperatures are going to be cooler. Um, the uh, forecast is usually calls for more wind and at this time of the year from what i've read um so it's going to be quite different plus you know colin morikawa won you know the uh first major championship of covid19 uh era and um and so that sort of throws everything off yes we had some back-to-back in uh in the new in the new date in may but Mm -hmm. um still it's Go from the master. I'm still not used to. We go to the mat from the Masters. Pretty good break to the PGA, and then boom, U.S. Open, boom, yeah. Open Championship. So, and the players are still getting used to it too. Yeah, I would imagine. I um, I remember in 2012 when we were all down at Kiowa. It was absolutely. It, it, I mean, it was a swamp. It was hot. It was sticky. We had thunderstorms that we were dodging all over the place. Um, there was a breeze coming off of the water that was pretty steady. 
but it wasn't a cooling breeze. I remember just like you, you would get out uh, at the venue off the shuttle buses and you were just wet and you never dried out until you finished taking a shower at night at the hotel. And, and that was it. It's, it was really an oppressive thing. It's a big ballpark. I mean, this mm-hmm. peat dye design, they can stretch it out to just, you know, a crazy kind of length. If the wind is up, how, how treacherous, how difficult do you think the players are anticipating the ocean course is going to play? Well, from uh, what we have, what I've seen on the PGA of America site, uh, they will at least one day tip it out to be the longest golf course in major championship history mm. at about, I think it's 7686. <laughs> Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, 10 of the holes run along the ocean. The eight other holes are parallel with those 10 holes. Uh, and it's not a true links course, though they say it's a links course. Um, a lot of players will tell you, no, it's not a links course because most of the greens are raised up. Um, and so there's no protection from the wind for those greens. There's extreme, so many runoffs. And I'm, we're talking... You could be looking, oh, here's a five-foot putt you're thinking about, and boom, mm-hmm. it's a 50-yard chip. Um, and very deep bunkers. I mean, very, very deep bunkers, um, which I, I think would be just as difficult as pot bunkers on, on regular links courses. It's long, but it's generous off the tee. At least it's generous off the tee. But you talk to any player uh, that has been there or has gone there and played, they've played a couple of senior opens there, senior – tournaments there yep you have to flight your ball you have to move your ball both ways and the higher you hit it unless you're downwind or yeah you know, the higher the the longer the ball stays in the air the more chance the wind is going to affect it right so you just have to really be a, a, an outstanding ball striker you're going to have to make mm-hmm. a lot of eight to ten foot putts for par um, it's it's just it's gonna be you know the the words have been used brutal. It's gonna so, be a brutal test. So is is the reason why? I mean, the, what what is the motivation? Do you think for the PGA of America to at least one day stretch this out to be the longest course that we've seen? I mean, there have been a lot made about mm-hmm. the the PGA Championship lacking an identity. Um, you know that the fact that they've moved it around and it's considered rightly or wrongly, to be the fourth of the four major championships. The Masters is the first, and the Green Jacket and the history of the U.S. Open has really hung its hat on the fact that we are, um, you know, the hardest or the most challenging uh, of the four major championships. The British Open is the oldest one, and the history and the Lynx courses and St. Andrews and all that kind of stuff. And the PGA Championship is the one that has moved dates. The PGA Championship has moved formats. It used to be match play, and it's stroke play. There are people that are saying, like, hey, wouldn't it be great if they went to match play again, which you and I both know is almost never even going to be considered seriously just for for the ramifications of tv and and all that kind of stuff but is is there a motivation that you can think of other than just because we can that you would stretch it out to be that long well if if they show up one day or if if we find out we get there that there's going to be very light winds Mm. stretch it as far as you can um and like i said the uh the fairways are generous off the tee for the most part there's a couple of couple of but, you know, I don't think tournament directors, whether it be for the USGA or the PGA of America, the PGA Tour, like hearing nine irons hit enough par fives, you know. So as far as the ball goes, stretch it out. Now, if they know it's going to be blowing 30 miles an hour mm-hmm. and they stretch it out 
to the longest golf course in major championship history, that'd be a little too extreme. But um, challenge them away. And there's going to be so many challenges. The waste areas you're going to have to hit out of, the winds, um, the deep bunkers, the greens are pitched. Uh, it's just – it's have at it, guys, and it's going to be a brutal test. Well, and that's what sort of Pete Dye golf courses are known for, being visually intimidating. You live near one at TPC Sawgrass and have walked that place only a couple million times. You look out at some of these places um, and you don't see landing areas or all you see in front of you are bunkers and scary things, but you have to know that actually you've got room. Pete Dye is just not showing it to you mm-hmm. or there are easy ways to get around it, relatively speaking if you understand what to look for and how to play it do pros when they play a venue like this or sawgrass or something how much do they sort of get visually intimidated how when they when you talk to them do they tell you that courses look hard and and play hard or sometimes do they are they over the visual stuff that we catch and the tv makes a big deal out of but but they're over it and they they're not intimidated by that stuff no i mean jim furick has said it multiple times about tpc sawgrass it's visually intimidating and it's interesting, the 1991 Ryder Cup was supposed to be was scheduled to be played at PGA West, another Pete Dye design course, yeah. out in the Coachella Valley in La Quinta, California. And I was working at the Desert Sun at that time, and we thought this is going to be great. We're going to have the, the Ryder Cup in our backyard, in 1991. Yeah. And then they had they put the uh, the uh, stadium course in the rotation of the Bob Hope Chrysler Classic one year. I think it was 1986. And part of the uh, complaining was that the amateurs just couldn't play it. Um, and back then you were playing with three amateurs um, per round. And the rounds were taking six and a half hours. Mm. So that was part of the complaint. The other complaint a lot of pros put it, said, this is just too difficult of a golf course. It's, it's not. It's too difficult. And so they moved it to a course that hadn't even been built yet. So the the Ocean Course, which is where the PGA Championship is, and which held the 1991 Ryder Cup, which unfortunately was dubbed the War by the Shore, War by the Shore, yep. was basically built for the Ryder Cup. Um, so, yeah, Pete Dye challenges you. I, I I I can't think of a comfortable setting, many comfortable settings on any Pete Dye golf course I've played, and I've played quite a few of them and um but like i said he, he gives you places to land the ball he, he does he just might not see it sometimes yeah but um yeah oh no the pros will tell you they're, they're visually challenged sure absolutely do do the elite players the rory mcelroy's dustin johnson's brooke kepska etc uh do they want it really really hard i mean would they like to oh. see something like three or four under par be the winning score or do they much prefer something where they can take it deep and all of a sudden birdies are a little bit easier to come by in major championships. No, to me, the best players have always said the harder it is, the cream of the crop goes to the top. You know, right. the more, cha- the harder a golf course is, it's usually because it's more, it challenges every aspect of your game. Um, and the best players are better at every aspect of the game than the people that aren't the best players in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, certainly not, not a steady diet of it, um, and one of the beauties of the U.S. Open is everybody knows, you know, sure, I'm sorry, you know, Bryson won at six under last year. But usually everybody knows you get to the U.S. Open, it's going to be right around par as the winning score. Mm-hmm. And it's just difficult that par matters. Um, well, Bryson and, was the only player to finish under par. I mean, yeah. he was he was the one guy. So there you go. So I, I no, the, the heart of the course, 
the more uh, the more challenging it is. And I think that is one of the reasons the best players in the world say, well, I'm better at most things than the others. Mm-hmm. So reward me for being, you know, being able to call upon my skills uh, on the most challenging golf course there is. So last year we were all just beside ourselves grateful the fact that we could have a PGA championship. We mm-hmm. did have it late in the season, obviously because of COVID. Colin Morikawa wins at TPC um, Harding Park. Was that golf course hard enough? I mean, it, it, it were, there were plenty of birdies to be had. You had to earn them, certainly. Colin did. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody's going to dispute that he wasn't a worthy champion. We didn't have fans and spectators on the ground, so it felt different. You were there. I was not. Mm-hmm. Um, did that venue hold up, in your opinion, to being worthy of a PGA? I, I think it did because it was a soft, it was soft. Um, mm-hmm. The course played soft. And whenever you, it doesn't matter how difficult the course soft is. is if it's soft, if the greens are soft, the players, these are so good, they're going to just bury it. Mm-hmm. Um, 13 under, Colin Morikawa won it 13 under. Um, it gave us a great final round. He shot 64 in the final round, bogey free. Um, you know, hit the shot, hit around the world. And what you had there, and, and this is, I think, testament to why it was a good you had 10 players at one point tied for the lead in the final round. And among those players was Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Colin Morikawa, Brooks Kepka, um, Jason Day, was in there. Paul Casey, uh, Scotty Scheffler, who has become a very outstanding, very good player. Quality up and down the line. Quality oh. up and down, yes. So TPC Harding Park, and I think it played great for when Rory won the match play there in 2015. I think it played outstanding when uh, the United States won the President's Cup there President's in 2009. Um, and yes, it was it was worthy. Uh, uh, it was definitely worthy. So you mentioned Colin McMurakawa, uh, the shot heard around the world. You've got a great package that's up on golfweek.com where you talk to lots of people about Colin Morikawa. Um, 2020 was a growing year to put it in a nice way for everybody. We've all had to deal with lots of different things. Some of us more than others. And we seem to be turning the corner in a lot of positive ways. We've got a long way to go, but things are definitely getting better here, at least in the United States with regard to all of us, not just with golf. How much has Colin Morikawa since he won the PGA championship changed or had to grow up as you're talking to people um how much did that victory and winning a major championship at that age change him it hasn't um one of the things that you quickly learn and we quickly learned it uh other than the fact he's one of the best iron players in the game Mm. is he's extremely intelligent and he's extremely kind and he gives of his time um and we saw that early on in scrums whether you know how limited they were they were um, you know, he won in his sixth PGA Tour start at the Barracuda Championship. He lost in a playoff in the first tournament back after a 13-week break because of COVID-19 in a playoff at Colonial to Daniel Berger. Then he beat Justin Thomas in a playoff at the at uh, Muirfield Village in the Workday Charity Open. And, you know, this guy, or as Paul Casey said, we knew it was coming. Us guys, we knew it. We could tell mm-hmm. it. He had it. Um, and then at the PGA Championship, uh, he just kept proving that he is this good. Um, the one thing that uh, I, I talked with him at length, uh, I talked to his mentor, Rick Sessinghouse, who's known Colin since he was eight. First met him when he was eight years old. Talked with J.J. Jakovic, his caddy. Um And I asked everyone, I go, why hasn't this gone to your head? 
Um, this is a guy who's won four tournaments, including a major, in just his second start in a major. Now he's doing commercials, which, by the way, have not cut into his practice time. So don't don't anybody go there. <laughs> Here we go. But I mean, two years ago he wasn't on TV. Now he's regularly on TV. Um, two years ago he didn't have a Wanamaker Trophy at his house. Didn't have four titles in his house mm -hmm. in his first forty-five starts on the PGA Tour. Um, made his first twenty-two cuts as a pro. And that's a record that's only been bested by Tiger Woods in, in the last 50 or 60 years. Um, and it's, none of it's gone to his head. Um, as J.J. Jakovic, his caddy, will tell you, Colin expect, expected to be this good this soon. Um, this is what he's always wanted to do. Um, and so when you do it, you just understand that, hey, yeah. this is what I wanted to do. Now let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it more and more and more and more. So I don't think there's any worries that he's going to get a big head, any worries that he's going to kick back. Um, he wants major number two. He mm -hmm. wants PGA Tour title number five um, and go on and on and on. And he wants to play in that Ryder Cup. Um, he wants to play in President's Cups. I think he's he going to. I think he's going to. I mean, he's yeah. it seemed that he's pretty much got a lot. I, no, yeah. Something, oh, yeah. you know, basically an injury needs to take place at this point yeah. for Colin Morikawa not to be playing Ryder Cup this year. Um, talk to me a little bit about the shot. I mean, the shot being um, he's he's right there in the mix. At the time, I believe when he steps up to 16, uh, I'll let you tied. sort of pick up the story. Yep. He's tied with Casey, who's playing a hole ahead of him, and he puts the hammer down. Talk us through it. Mm -hmm. Well, what I learned is uh, Colin was running hot going to the 16th tee. Um, he thought he should have birdied 15. Um, especially since he had such good mojo going because he chipped in on 14 from 50 feet for birdie. Yeah. He had good mojo. As he's walking the 16th tee, he's running hot. But he also knows that there were no scoreboards out there, but he assumes he's that Paul Casey just tied him for the lead because he just birdied 16. What they didn't know as they walked up to that tee box, Colin and JJ, as they had moved the tees way up, they had never – thought about going for it they didn't practice going for it even rick mm. sessinghouse rick sessinghouse told me when he's standing there he goes when colin pulled driver rick said to himself mm, this is interesting because we didn't plan for this yeah but as everybody else says it's one of the greatest shots in major championship history one of the greatest shots in pga championship history it was the defining moment of the 102nd pga at biggest big shot Harry. of his career by a mile he doesn't think it deserves a plaque. He doesn't think it deserves because this is what I wrote. I wrote, he made the ordinary look extraordinary. Okay. He said it was an absolute stock driver. Every number fit. He can fight his ball 277. The pin was, it was, I think, 278 to the front, 294 to the pin. He said the weather was perfect. The temperature was perfect. All I had to do was hit my normal drive. My stock driver is how he put it. And he did. And as it falls in the air, they know immediately this is exactly going right at it. All they needed was a straight bounce. It Not took a, a straight bounce, ended up seven feet. He, he couldn't see how close it was from back there. But as they walked up to the green, he saw it. He goes, that's when it heated up again. Because you've got to make the putt. you just got to make well, the Well, I was going to say, and that was the thing I remember watching it in real time. I'm like, we have seen tremendous shots. And the ones we remember, it's the second shot. It's the one after you do something right. spectacular. You hit the glorious approach shot into 13 at Augusta National to, to six feet from someplace. 
it all goes for naught if you don't make the eagle putt. There are other ones that have been famous where like you you, you got to finish it, mm-hmm. and he does, and that's that was the sticking point. We'll get to the putting here in just a minute, um, but it was unbelievable. And I guess the thing to me is like, okay, all the numbers may fit and it may be a stock driver mm-hmm. for him. And that's all well and good. It's the first time you said his second major championship. Mm-hmm. And there are so many things that could go wrong. I mean, it's San Francisco. The ball is not going to fly. Like they've got all that stuff worked out. I get it. The pressure to, to compete at the highest level. You've mm-hmm. now what? Congrats. Mazel tov, kid. You're at the highest level. It's the back nine of a major. You've got the stock number. I would think that there's almost less pressure when there's, a little bit something extra you have to do. Maybe the expectation isn't quite as high. If he in his head knows this is a ho-hum, run-of-the-mill, hit it on Wednesday mm-hmm. afternoon with my buddy's driver, don't screw it up. It's almost like that becomes in some ways harder, you know? And, and I mean, it's not as if he did It's not as if he said it was easy. But as he said, when you're usually trying to drive a par four, you got to really try to cut something unload in it. or yeah. really unload on a three-wood or, you know, he didn't have to do that. He just had to hit his stock driver. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, I just had to hit my stock three iron. Colin can hit a stock three iron on the button over and over and over and over again. Um, and he hit it. And so, you know, he appreciates other people making mm-hmm. a big deal out of it. And I think some, I think it might be overshadowed a bit because there were no fans there. Um, could you well, imagine? Let me, let me ask you this um, amongst the players. I don't, I think I know the answer is, is there any reason why there's an asterisk next to his win because there were no spectators and there were no fans? There was no buzz. No, I've never heard a player say that. I've never heard one player Good. say any tournament should have an asterisk. Good. Um, and I think a few have been asked. Um, I mean, I don't know why anybody would. It was a great major. It had some of the biggest names in golf fighting down all the way to the 72nd hole on Sunday. So, um, but I, I have not heard anybody say, Hey, it deserves an asterisk or does Dustin Johnson's deserve an asterisk for his master's win. Um, so, uh, no, it's just, and one of the biggest reasons when he got up to the putt is he laser focused on just hitting a good putt because in his mind, he really, if he makes the putt, he's got a two-shot lead with two holes to play, which is huge. Yeah. It's much bigger than a one-shot lead. And again, yeah. there weren't scoreboards out there. And 17th wasn't a piece of cake, and 18th certainly wasn't a piece of cake. So he buries the putt um, from seven feet, makes two pars, wins by two, and he's got the Wanamaker trophy. And, and here's, here's another interesting thing. He, doesn't, he didn't mount the driver. He didn't mount the putter he used. They're just in a collection of other clubs in his garage in his home in Las Vegas. So he said, no, they're definitely not mounted. Um, They're not in in the the PGA of America Museum or the World Golf Hall of Fame Museum. Maybe one day they will be. Mm -hmm. But uh, for now, no, they're in his his garage. So That's kind of cool. Um, When was the last time you made an eagle? Wow. I don't know. I've only made one in my life, so it's easy to remember. Oh, I've, <laughs> for, for, well, I mean, I, I've had a hole in one, so there's an eagle right there. Um, oh no, I, I'm not bragging here, but yeah, I've, I've made quite a few. But I haven't played a whole <laughs> lot of golf lately, and I used to be a lot better than I am right now. So <laughs> it's like you know, the older I get, the better I used to be, kind of line. Um, so he makes the putt, and I wrote a stats piece to go along with all the different stuff that you put together about Colin Morikawa. It's the putt 
that impresses me because if he has an Achilles heel, it's with the mm -hmm. short stick. Now he's gone through different grips. He's gone through different philosophies. He's had varying levels of success. And like so many guys in the PGA tour who are elite ball strikers, when the putter is rolling and he gets it going, he's going to be lights out and he's going to shoot 64, 65 crazy low numbers. When the putter is average, then he's in contention and, and he has a chance. But there are some when the putter is just stone cold. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. We can candy coat it all we want. Um, this year has not been an especially good year as, as a whole for him with the putting. In, in speaking with him and with people around him, what is his thinking on it? What's his take on it? Is there a concern that, that he needs to get better at that or acknowledgement uh, you know, by him and his camp, his team, that this is, this is something that needs to be addressed if we want to win lots of times and in a big way? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Rick Sessinghouse, again, his coach, his mentor since Colin was eight years old, so it's gone 16 years now, told me a story that was funny that Colin would call him during college when he was playing college, and Rick would go, okay, so what grip did you use today? What putter did you use today? Colin is a curious sort, so he keeps looking for other ways to improve, mm -hmm. to, you know, to not only strengthen his strengths, but to improve his weaknesses, and putting has been his letdown. And I don't know if it's as bad as some people think it is because his iron play is so extraordinary. Tremendous. You know, so, but uh, earlier in, in the year, he had, uh, he, he switched putters again. Um, he, uh, he was at Riviera. He had bumped into Marco Mera and he started employing the saw grip. Um, and the stats didn't show it that week at Riviera that, in fact, they showed that he didn't putt very well at all. You can say but that, then, yeah. but then he won the next week yeah. at the Workday Championship uh, at the the concession. Um, so he's always experimenting, um, you know, and he knows that you know. And Rick says, you know, the stats don't show that you putted better at Riviera, and Colin just said, yeah, but it feels so good. It feels so good. And mm -hmm. Rick says, all right, we'll go with that. And JJ said the same thing. We'll go with that. Um, he could change putters tomorrow, but right now he loves the saw grip that he's that he's employing. He likes the putter mm -hmm. he's got in his hand, but that's who Colin Marikow is. He, he'll keep searching for ways to get better. And Rick Sessinghouse is just as intelligent as Colin is. And JJ has been there, done that because he he was an aspiring pro, and then he's been one of the best caddies for more than a decade. Um, they get on the same page and Colin likes this. Let's go for it and let's change. So um, curious sorts tend to be the more intelligent sorts. And that's definitely Colin Morikawa. So you, you talk a little bit about caddies. Uh, there's going to be some interesting stories this week as we get one of the most famous caddies on the mm -hmm. world uh, back in action. Um, Jim McKay is going to be with Max Homa, um, which should be pretty interesting. Max's um, <laughs> caddy is competing in the U.S. Amateur uh, champion four ball at Chambers Bay because basically there was a little bit of a snafu in the calendar. All good with Max. It's mm -hmm. his, his caddy going through. And um, what what if any difference do you think having Bones on the bag for Max Homa is? Do you think this is a cool story for people like us to talk about? Do you think that it makes any difference? My my own thing is like, um, well, I don't think that in any way, shape, or form this becomes a permanent kind of a move. I don't mm -hmm. think Bones wants to be on the PGA Tour on the regular, and and this is a very special case that we knew about. 
he's been at the ocean course before there aren't as you sort of said a lot of people who've got experience playing a major championship at the ocean course he was out there with bones and or excuse me he was out there with phil mickelson back in 2012 he's got oceans of experience and he's got a player in max homa who won this year who's mm -hmm. been playing well he's been on the first page of leaderboards several mm -hmm. times what do you make of this I, I think Max Homa is about as fortunate a player as there is in the sense. <laughs> he is loyal to his caddy, mm -hmm. and he's not going to leave his caddy. His caddy is the best caddy for Max Homa. But, hey, my friend, my caddy, qualifies for a four ball. Let's see if I can get a caddy. Oh, yeah, I'll go get one of the greatest caddies of all time in Jim Bones Mackay. So – I don't yeah, think it's not a knock on Joe Griner in, in, yeah, in any I, way, shape, or form. It's just that look what just fell into my lap. I don't think Joe, I, I don't think uh, anybody can stand there on and say that this will be an improvement for Max Homa because it's certainly mm -hmm. not. Joe is a, an outstanding caddy and he's, an outs he's a great caddy for Max Homa. So uh, I don't understand. I, I hope nobody, I, I really hope nobody thinks that Bones could be coming because well, that's not going to happen. But no, he doesn't to want be able, to be. Max Homa, you know, he rolls great. He li loves life. He won at Riviera this year at Genesis Invitational. Um, he's a great dude on Twitter. He's a great dude in public and when mm -hmm. he's talking with us. But how fortunate is, you know, he's rolling good these days on the golf course. And, oh, look, hey, Jim Bones Mackay. Bones is going to be in my bag. Let's go. So it'll be a, a nice little story, but it's it's not going to uh, evolve in anything other than that now one of the other nice little stories that is going to be a big part i think of pga championship this week is rory mcelroy returning to kiowa obviously the last time we were here he wins by eight it was it was almost it was the one of the most impressive performances we've seen from rory um difficult golf course it fit the mold of what we came to sort of classify rory mcelroy championship winning courses to be really long relatively low wind and wet uh, if you take a look at a lot of the places where he had success uh, when he was winning major championships, Congressional obviously immediately comes to mind. Winning at Valhalla, um, you know, in the dark. Hoy, Hoy, was, Lake, was, was, Hoy was, Lake was wet. Was wet. Everything is wet and long and soft, and Rory can just fire away. Um, assuming that we don't get that, how big do you think uh, it still is, the fact that he wins at Wells Fargo? It's the third time, a horses for courses kind of thing. I get that, but that he's got this monkey off his back. And that, how big was that win for Rory? I think it was huge because one, it validated everything he's been working on. Mm -hmm. And as he said earlier, as he said in the week, during the week at the Wells Fargo, it was becoming frustrating that he was doing such great work, but the results weren't coming, but he knew they were coming. And, you know, you bring along with Michael Bannon, you bring Pete Cowan, Cowan. on board, who is a, just one of the best coaches alive. And he's also a short game guru. I mean, if there's ever been a knock on Rory, it's a, you know, he's a streaky putter um, and he's a streaky chipper because from tee to green, he's as good as anybody. Um, Absolutely. So the the validation is what he was looking for and he got it. And now he gets to go to a course where he knows he won by eight. Um, he knows it's going to be a different golf course, but he'll be, you know, the good vibes will be there. He's familiar with the golf course. Um, if anything, his length is an advantage, definitely is an advantage. I think length is an advantage on every golf course, but it's going to be more so on that course, especially with the generous fairways. Um, 
So I, you know, if he had not won at Wells Fargo and, you know, he had shot an opening round 72 and a lot of us were going, okay, it's just going to be another one of those weeks yeah. for Rory. T14. You know, he, he, hadn't been to, he, hadn't, he hadn't been to the weekend in over two months. He hadn't made it to the weekend. Now, granted, he only played four times, but he hadn't been to the weekend in four months. Um, I mean, two months. Um, and, but then he turned around um, and then he started to be Rory. He started to feel more like Rory. And um, I, I, I think it did the world for him. And I think he, it's too. Yeah. And he's certainly yeah. going to be one of the favorites and deservedly so. When he starts walking that walk, and you know exactly what I'm mm-hmm. talking about, like he's almost bounds down and his head is bobbing and his shoulders are back and and like, you know, the the body language doctors out there all of a sudden, like you can just notice it. And and he yeah. had that walk and he was able to execute some shots. And I um I, I think a huge kudos and a lot was sort of made out of, on the on the broadcast. I saw some stuff that, that you wrote and some other people wrote, but but the broadcast went big on the fact that Harry Diamond, when he goes left on 18 at Wells Fargo was the one who maybe suggested, hey, how about just like taking on play when we drop here rather than trying to chip something up onto the hillside. We're going to be on a severe downslope lie in the rough and we're going at the screens. Like Harry was was big and and, and Rory has stood up for him on numerous <laughs> occasions where a lot of people are like, hey, why do you have your best friend on the bag? Get a real caddy, get something, you know, somebody out there who can really help him. You know, after – um. JP Fitzgerald, you know, he split ways, you know, you're just doing this because you're trying to help out your buddy. That was a brilliant move. And he deserves a lot of credit. I mean, Rory hits the shots, but Mm -hmm. in the moment, being able to sort of suggest that was absolutely brilliant. I I think what, I mean, would you agree that maybe we haven't been as we as being as a group quite as fair to, to Harry as we maybe should have. And the fact that like, you know, he can, work through Rory's temperament, knows what to say, those kind of things, which is a big part of the caddy's job. That was a class move that he put on Rory there. Well, I've never been unfair to Harry, and I've never understood what people were attacking him. Um, and it's it wasn't a whole lot of people, you know. And it's just sort of like... No, why there was chirping out there. Whenever guys, like, have a friend on the bag, yeah, people are thinking almost like you're not taking it seriously. Yeah, why did DJ put AJ on the bag? They, they yeah, heard same it. Thing. They heard it. But after he won the Players' Championship in 2019, Rory definitely made sure everyone knew that Harry Diamond was one of the best caddies out there. And look, it, he was one of the best caddies the first time he caddied for Rory because Rory was comfortable. And Rory's the only one that matters here. Um, but he went out of his way to make sure everyone heard after he won the Players' Championship in 2019, Harry is one of the best caddies in the game, period. Um, I'm a little surprised that Rory, because they took a long time. Now, again, maybe that did pop up early in the conversation. They had a long conversation. You know, Rory was taking awkward stances. He might have gone right, and, but yep. there was that big stamp. They looked at, you know, they walked up and looked at the he didn't, where the he didn't fans think he were. Could, he didn't think he could go over the creek and keep it in the fairway. Yeah. I mean, with the club yeah. that he would need to get, he was like, that's going to go there. He was looking everywhere. And, and I think one thing, he's on a bank. So – in his mind, after Harry said, hey, let's think about taking the drop, that uh, Rory knew he could place it. He'd be able to place it because he'll take Great two shot. balls and it goes down. Then he places it. And then from 200 yards, he had eight iron under the green, two putts for 44 feet. You know, So he's still hitting it out of the rough, um, and he still had to play for the jumper. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Harry said, hey, here's another option. Let's think about this option. 
And Rory, when he saw it, he goes, okay, yeah, I'll have a much freer. I'm, you know, the ball is still going to be below my feet, but you, I'll have a but, much freer but he, swing. But he knew he was so. going to be able to place it based on that slope. He knew that he was going to drop it. It was going to roll, drop and roll. Then I'm going to place it. And now I've got this as ideal a lie as I can hope for on this hillside. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm going to hear. I'm not leaving it to random chance that I'm going to go up the bank where who knows what you get. Maybe you get a great lie. Maybe you get a crap mm-hmm. lie. You, you have no idea. Um, and then it comes down to what he does, which is execution. And I can just focus on the execution and the most ideal lie that I'm able to look, for, I'm able to get. Um, I, I just thought it was a brilliant job. And, mm-hmm. and I think that if hopefully that then puts the, the final nail in the coffin of, of Harry shouldn't be out there bagging for Rory because clearly he, he's got all the chops that, that he needs to. Um, Brooks kept his knee um, comes out this last week saying that the knee is getting better. Still not 100%. Still cannot squat down behind a putt. So he's got to get in this awkward stance to get low. But, he says, significantly better than what we had at Augusta, mm-hmm. which which doesn't necessarily say very much. We don't know mm-hmm. if that means it's 90% of what he would like it to be, like normal. It's, that doesn't mean it still doesn't wake up in the morning and hurt and have to get lots of treatments. What the heck are we supposed to do that? This is a guy who's won two of the last three PGA championships um, is I think universally thought to be either the, the most mentally strong or certainly amongst the most mentally tough of the guys out there. I would love to pick Brooks Kepka on a really, really hard golf course. The heart of the course, you said the more the elite players like it, Brooks wants it to be an absolute bloodbath. Mm-hmm. But if his right knee is not good and he's not able to post up and rotate over the, on the backswing, it's going to inhibit some things in his swing. What what are we supposed to make of this? Whatever he tells us. I mean, <laughs> Which so, isn't much. You know, he, he, and he's struggling. He's going to have to shoot a very good nut. He he would have, you know, he he wasn't Brooks Kepka in full flight uh, at the uh, the tournament at, at the AT&T Byron Nelson. Um, I know when we saw him, we were there Sunday when he walked out onto the grounds at Augusta National and then later talked to us. Um, he knew and he was taking different routes to, to walk that, that hilly golf course, Augusta nationals, the elevation changed around this world. And he would take different routes to keep as much pressure off his knee as possible. Kiwa Island isn't an easy walk either. I mean, it's one of the worst walks in golf for spectators. Oh, it's awful. It's not a good walk for fan. I mean, for the players either, even if they walk right down the line, right down the middle of the fairways. Um, he did say that it is a lot better than it was at at Augusta. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give good. him that. Um, and he always finds that extra juice at a major. So, you know, the AT&T, Byron Nelson, he wasn't full flight there. Um, but once he gets the Kiowa, maybe that little extra juice and that little extra time that he's had treatment on his knee and he's worked on his knee will, will be fine. And so we can only go at what he says. Now, DJ, Dustin Johnson, world number one, who hasn't had a top 10 since the Genesis Invitational, which is a long time for one of the best players in the world. He pulled out with some knee discomfort. Um, He just Mm -hmm. wanted, I think he just wanted to rest it. He pulled out of the 18 T Byron Nelson um i think he just wanted to give that one little few more days of rest before going to the pga championship so here you have two of the best players in the world have you know concerns going into um 
into the first major, uh, I mean, the second major of the year. So that the, the, there's, there's two storylines because yeah. both of those guys in full flight are two of the best things you've ever seen in golf. Oh yeah. And, and, but, and they're both just mentally, they're rocks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. again, to, we, the harder it gets, the more I love those kind of guys because they believe they're the best thing out there since Ben Hogan. And they're, they can't wait to show you. And Brooks has talked about this on numerous occasions. You've written it in Golf Week, you know, tons of times that when he shows up at a major championship and it's being dubbed as really hard, oh, the rough is so tall. Oh my gosh, these greens are. He loves it because half of the guys in his mind, just like Nicholas, are already talking themselves around of the tournament. He's not even going to concern himself with them. He's going to concern himself with just putting up a good first round score and moving on. I mean, it's more process oriented and just let those other guys sort of do that stuff. I, I can't wait at some point, hopefully soon, rather than later, we get to see Brooks Kepka vintage like what we shot at Shinnecock, mm-hmm. where he was right. just mentally and physically in peak form. And if it's not going to be at the ocean course, then I hope we're going to see him at Torrey Pines. As you said, they're going to come fast now. Like every yeah. four weeks, boom, <laughs> PGA, boom, US Open, boom, and, and all, all this other stuff. Um, Jordan Spieth has had a fantastic year. T3 at the Masters, gets COVID, um, said for the couple days he was, you know, basically having flu or cold-like symptoms, but then he did the right thing, keeping himself away from everybody else, said he was fine, you know, but it, you know, for a couple days, we've seen some athletes in various sports get really affected by COVID. When they come back, they just, they're a step slow. It's a respiratory disease. It makes a virus. It makes sense that when you're in a sport like basketball or football or something like that, where you're going to be running and sprinting, I get that. Golf, to me, it's a little bit different. We've seen Dustin Johnson had COVID. You know, he he was able to win the Masters after that. Um, what do you think about what we've seen so far from Jordan Spieth as it translates to the ocean course? Because, as a lot of people are going to know, and certainly if he hits a couple good rounds on Thursday, Friday, he's trying to complete the career Grand Slam at the PGA Championship. Uh-huh. So that's a big storyline that's just sort of on the back burner, but people can't wait to start cooking it. Well, you know, he hadn't played in a month. Um, and it didn't take him long to get right back into it since he shot 63 in the first round of the AT&T Byron Nelson. Um, I think he has five top fives in his last eight starts going into the AT&T Byron Nelson. He won his first tournament since 2017. He's feeling about as good as he's felt about his game for a lo- in a long, long time. Um, he's driving the ball much better, especially when he was in his, quote, slump. Mm-hmm. Um, and with generous fairways, that'll – They'll play big for him at Kiowa. Um, I think anytime, you know, the course is going to demand you're hitting, making eight to 10 footers par. It's going to demand you to chip your ball very well. And he's excellent at both of them. Yep. Love it. Um, He's not the highest ball hitter. And so I don't think that'll get him in trouble. I think but, I mean I think that that could help him. I and mean, if it gets really blowing, wouldn't mm-hmm. it, you know, the stereotype of, of a Texas guy. You know, he'll, he'll be a win player, right? Yeah, it should be. Yeah, it, it should play into his hands. Um, but, you know, I, I think his strength is what you're going to have to do around those greens at Kiowa. And mm-hmm. he, I know you're going to have to hit the ball long. You're going to have to fight your ball and all that. You're going to have to be really good around the greens. And right yeah. now, he, he he's back to being Jordan doing magical things again yeah. around the greens and on the greens. So, um, and the last player I want to ask you a little bit about is Justin Thomas world number two, wins the Players' Championship. Uh, he won the 2017 PGA, his loan. It seems almost unbelievable that 
world number two has been to world number one is on the way if he's not already there to being sort of the heart and soul of the u.s Ryder cup movement i mean like he's mm-hmm. been out there team with tiger he is going to be a force and be a part of that for probably the next two decades and, and i think that's good for team usa he's, he's doing all the right things in some ways of one of, one of the most emotionally trying years certainly of mm-hmm. his career uh, much by his own doing as i'm sure he would step up and talk about um give me a reason not to pick justin thomas because i'm i'm looking mm-hmm. and i don't see one the only way is, uh, I would say, um, pick someone out. No, I, 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 there is nothing. Lightning? I don't know. I mean, he's long. Yep. Check mark. He's one of the best iron players in the game. Check okay. mark. He can putt his ball. Check mark. He can chip his ball. Check mark. Mm-hmm. He's got no problem inside his ears. Another check mark. Um, so he's got to want to make a trophy in his in his living room. He's one of the best players in the world. Um, he's used to playing I, on the I big stage. Like I yeah. think he, he expects to be there, so he's not surprised or in awe of the spotlight. I can't think of any reason to pick against him. Um, right. uh, it's just, you know, he, he's Justin Thomas. And, I, you know, unfortunately, he ran into some goofy stuff happening at Augusta, but he was right there in the mix for a long time at Augusta. So, you know, I he's definitely – I. Definitely one of the favorites, and justifiably cool. so, you know. And so I, I can't think of a reason not to pick him. Steve, you're one of our favorites. I just want you to know that. You're you're one of our favorites. Thank you very much for coming on the Ford Press. Enjoy Kiowa. You got it. Thank you, man. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.